Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose-driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au. Now there's a surplus of information, and I think the real talent is going to be is going to lie in curating all of yes, that. Yes, absolutely. And making sense of all of that. And I think that's where human beings would come into the picture. Yeah. And it's not so much generating information, but really picking out what's valuable and and what can be made useful. Welcome back to the podcast and terrific to have you with us as always at Humans of Purpose. Those are the wise and profound words of Rahul Sones, who is the co-founder at the Disruptive Business Network. If you're getting good value out of the Humans of Purpose podcast, we'd love you to support us on a monthly basis by joining our community at patreon.com slash humans of purpose. Well, I won't spoil this episode too much for you. I'll leave you to check it out and uh, learn what you can. But Rahul is one of my favorite people to randomly bump into and enter into very long conversations about all manner of things, ranging from tech, entrepreneurship, the future, uh, law, policy, bioethics, human optimization. He, he's got such a wide range of topics that he can speak about. And I, I shouldn't have failed to mention their um, stoicism and uh, how we can be better human beings every day, applying some ancient wisdom too. So we have a great chat uh, and I hope you enjoy the podcast with Rahul. So welcome, mate. Great to have you. Thank you. I'm with uh, Rahul Sones, which rhymes with bones. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Rahul is the founder of the Disruptive Business uh, Network, which I'm really excited to have been involved with a few events recently and um, mm. met Rahul. We were caught up at uh, Henley Club, one of the first events that I could attend, and mm. he told me all about the Bulletproof Coffee, and we sort of went on from there. Yeah. Always a great conversation starter, or, or Bulletproof <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have seen you at a couple of different events. We bumped into each other, I think, also at the White House and the Small Giants Gathering. And mm-hmm. um, I see you very much as the community man. And so I wasn't surprised when I found out that you were heading up such a um, successful, growing network around mm-hmm. disruptive business. How did you get into that space? Yeah, so it was more by uh, accident, I suppose. Like just, just to give you a little bit about my backstory, uh, or my background is in engineering. And so after I finished uni, the first job I got was in project management. It was for kind of a massive telecommunications construction company. And I, I was there for seven years. And after about that time, I thought, okay, I cannot be doing this for the rest of my time. Sure. So what else is out there? Yeah. And that kind of began a journey of exploration. Uh, the first step was, I suppose, the most comfortable one. I, I went back to uni and, and did a master's. From that, I tried to get into consulting, management consulting. Yep. Tried for eight months, wasn't successful. And then after that time, I thought, screw it. I'm just going to go out and meet people and see what's out there. So I literally went to meetup and just went to every single meetup that even mildly interested in me. Interested me. So also, how many do you, do you have a count, body count? Uh, I, there, was a, there was a time I was, uh, I was probably at a meetup four times a week. 
that's epic. That's yeah. just such a like a, a fast targeted way to try and find the right fit for you. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think uh, a couple of things. So, firstly, I was lucky in that I could, with my job, I could go back. I could go to part time, so I was working three days a week. Where were you working at that time? Uh, at the same at my old job at, sure. my, at the same company, and uh, and I think going to different meetups. I think I, I, what happened was I narrowed it down to tech startups and social enterprises. And yeah, from there, that's where I felt the most energized. That's where I felt, okay, I'm starting to find a tribe here. And that's where I focused. And then, um, and then from that, I, I met a few people. I started uh, helping out a startup at, that was funded by small giants, which, yep. um, which, which, is a, which is a VC company, but they mm-hmm. only invest in social, social, social enterprises. And, um, yeah, and I think from there, I, yeah, that introduced me to kind of different models of business. And I started focusing my my attention on, okay, what is the future of business? Uh, I'd come from a corporate background. There was this realization, okay, that this is not the future of business. Mm. So what is? And that that again set another set about another series of explorations and uh did you know right then that 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 was what tickled your fancy more than all the other things you could be thinking about was it like this is an exciting thing that i want to be involved in kind of learning about and shaping um no i I didn't have that realization then like it was more after the fact like this was really something that i mean to be honest it, it energized me like hearing these inspirational people tell their stories uh and also i think it wasn't it wasn't like bill gates talking from a mountaintop it was it was people that had been through kind of a similar journey and and I, and maybe there was a little bit about a little bit of myself in them yes and so which is so important when you you know you're meeting a tribe and a community to sort of say what is it about me that draws me in and you know what's that point of connection almost yeah and and i think that was really important and um, and that's how Disruptor Business Network started. It was, okay, what is the future of business? Who are the people in my community or in my network who are doing cool, who are doing cool things? Let's give them a platform to tell their stories. Um, and I suppose to answer your, your previous question as to the network, I think I never really saw myself as... A networker, or, or yeah. um, you know, it, it was. I suppose what I was trying to say is like, not that I saw you as a networker, but you were mm. always in the center of networks. Yeah. So like, you were kind of like in the in the spot. Mm. You know, I think there is like very much a spot with this kind of purpose-driven business space, and it's like it's kind of partially at some of those small giant events. It's kind mm. of at the it was at the TBI events. It was at you know Kinfo. Like I just you know I saw you as I guess an inherent node in that network. Yeah, and I think I think that goes back to my previous kind of hunt for for a tribe and yep. going to different meetups. And I think just meeting different people there, I'd see those same people at diff- at other events. And then also, I spent some time. I was a community manager at Inspire Nine, 
And I think that exposed me to, again, a whole raft of people. Oh, yeah. I can just imagine you around the traps there, around the pool tables, yeah. pinball machines, having <laughs> some hell of an interesting conversations. Yeah, that's how I spent most of my time. Yeah. But, um, that sounds like the best job ever to be, honest. Yeah, it was great. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, I owe a lot to that space in terms of introducing me to people and also, um, I suppose that really helped DBN as well. And then, of course, uh, where we met, the Henley Club, um, that also kind of exposed me to people outside of social enterprise and the tech sector yep. to various, you know, other avenues. And there's like, yeah. it's interesting, there's so many groups that kind of have some degree of overlap, but not entire overlap. But yeah. they don't know about each other and kind of, you know, you might say one at certain things, but not other things. And if you're a person who really commits to getting around to all of them, like you get this amazing bird's eye perspective. Exactly. And I, and I think also um, pe- people think about pe- networking, the term has negative connotations because you, you go to kind of networking events and it's really people shoving their business card in your face. I think what I found what, what worked as me what worked for me is kind of being an intermediary. Like you meet two people from different, you know, social spheres, yep. and then you notice a common problem, and then you make the introduction, and then you step away. Yeah, and you do that a few times, and then you're seen as a connector. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah. A, that's such a mm. crucial role. I mean, mm. the connector role is, I think, part of. Um, what makes networks work really well or makes you want to be part of a network. Yeah. And I think for me as well, um, like although certain meetups, certain um, events that I went to definitely energize me, I think, but by nature I am really introverted and I'm really like uh, what, when I'm happiest is when I'm by myself and reading or watching movies or listening to music or yep. And I think also, I think because of that, I, I I tended to listen to people a bit more deeply and trying to figure out, okay, what's driving this person? What's the, are there any problems there that I can help out with? Hmm. And I, and I think, yeah, that's what kind of, kind of helped me as well. Yeah. I think it's funny because, um, you think about yourself as an introvert, but you're a guy who's going to all these meetups and mm. all these social events and running a network. So yeah. it's kind of Which, like an interesting paradox there. Exactly. And I, th- I think, um, and, and yeah, it's really, I mean, a few years ago, if you thought I'd be running an events company, I thought you'd be, you'd be crazy because <laughs> I'd be the last person to do that. But I, I, I don't see DBN as an events business. It's more, I see it as a conversation business. Yep. And because what's really helped me along my journey is eavesdropping into conversations. I mean, not in a creepy way, but I'm talking about. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought I saw you behind me. In at the bus the, stop. Yeah, bus yes. stop the other day. <laughs> but it's, it's been podcasts like yours yeah. and, uh, and others. And, and that's, and I think every meaningful conversation I've listened to, it's kind of moved the dial a little bit into into this realization of the person I am and the, and what my purpose is and what really, and how I can bring value to other people. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, the way you do it, and I I like what you say actually about it, not being about events as a business of events, but Mm -hmm. 
it's more like the practice of connecting people together who mm. have that common interest in disruptive business. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about what you've been doing. I mean, I know there was an amazing AI series you did recently. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the last year, the, the main focus was on uh, debates. And this is, uh, I like to say I pay homage to Intelligence Squared, but I stole the idea of, right. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's Oxford-style debates on various topics. And and I found this format works really well for a couple of reasons. And, and I mean, pr- prior to debates, I'd always run panel discussions or keynotes. And I think what I was finding was that, number one, depending on the topic, you were kind of preaching to the choir. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that people coming to the events were already yeah. convinced. Of, they want to hear, like they come to the event because they want to hear the topic um, addressed the way they agree with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and also running panel discussions was what I found was usually there'd be one or two people on the panel that would get the lion's share of speaking time, yeah. whereas it's really the quieter ones that had more insightful things to say. Yeah. And so with this format, everyone gets an equal uh, amount of time to speak. Um, and also on the topic, you get really, the audience is really a mixed bag of People who agree and people who disagree. Yep. And also, it, it's 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 kind of uh, it's competition as well because there's the audience decides who wins or loses. So the audience votes before and after, and whoever moves the most votes and percentage points wins. So it's like a Q and A style approach, but you know, the actual with points that exactly. Ranking. Yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. So it's a Q and A style approach, but each speaker it goes in rounds. So there are three rounds, and yeah. And so this last sorry last year we teamed up with the state library and ran a series of debates there, which were fantastic. And uh, what topics did you cover last year? So we did three last year. One was whether the top one was uh, smart devices are making us dumb. <laughs> Brilliant! That see that yeah. I just read a book on that. I went away and read a book about disconnecting from mobile. A little yeah, bit, yeah. Uh, which was fascinating. The second one was whether AI would create more jobs mm-hmm. uh, than destroy them. And the third one was whether lawyer and the topic was lawyers would be irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. They're all funny, like, because mm-hmm. they're so on point. Yeah. I think like the first two, especially, but certainly like, you know, probably had great people for the lawyers one. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting question. I bet you there are a couple of lawyers there arguing that they would still be valuable. It, it's funny. All, all four of them, all four of the debaters were lawyers. Yep. Um, but, it was it was fascinating in that, and I think what goes for lawyers goes for services in general. Yeah, absolutely. We've reached a point, I suppose, where we are with technology and so on, where nothing is certain anymore. Correct. You you yeah. think that a profession like being a lawyer mm. would uh, would guarantee you a job for yep. life? Yep. But where we're headed. The answer is no. I think it's an interesting one because I think if you've been a lawyer and you are a lawyer and you have been one and you reach a certain level of seniority, you might be more safe than others. Yeah. But certainly, like, um, I studied law and I did a master's in law. And, um, oh, did you? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, so yeah. So I, I, I was a judge's associate for a year but then mm. didn't go on to practice beyond that. And I think part of the problem is that um, my year is actually the GFC year when all they only took, like, you know, a few percent, a, a couple of places per year of uh, article clerks. Yeah. And... You know, the thing is, the stuff that you would do as an article clerk or first couple of years lawyer mm. is so automatable exactly, and yeah. perfect for algorithms. Yeah. So an algorithm would make a much more efficient exactly, lawyer yeah. than uh, yeah. many people at that level. 
and that's what came up in that um some like a doc review which would take like a legal intern a week yep. would take an ai a few minutes yeah that's absolutely yeah. right mm. and you know with, especially with like text scanning abilities and you know just these word dictionaries and you know templates and oh mm. it's it's amazing how it all changes but then i suppose you start to think that really high level experience of kind of understanding uh the case law and its application and you know what things will be weighted yeah um, that is high level work that you know maybe partners or senior associates do that probably will still be around for a while exactly and i think another thing is also <laughs> how the business models are changing yep this was the partnership model i think is very soon to going extinct in that clients are not going to pay x amount of dollars for yep. six minute increments yep. Uh, there are kind of new and innovative models that are coming out. For sure. And it yeah. wasn't like software and online and crowdsourcing, the power yeah. of the crowd to solve harder problems. Exactly, yeah. What am I doing going to a partner if I could hire um, in India and, you know, Bangladesh, there's 40 mm. partners who will do the work for, you know, mm. competing partners to just do the same job. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's, there's services like, you know, LegalZoom where, I mean, I, I'm not – a legal expert by any mm, means, but mm. if you if you want say a, just a, a boilerplate contract, yep, you could just download a template, yep, from them. It happened to me like a few weeks ago. I needed yeah. a contract, uh, even mm. like being like from the you know fraternity, I, I still couldn't. It would take me weeks to draft a contract or thousands of dollars. Mm. But with the online availability of templates and you can you know craft it, mm. it's like forty bucks. Yeah, crazy. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 like I said, what's true for lawyers is true for services in general. And yep. Like, I mean, if, say, you're a management consultant, um, there was a startup called Hourly Nerd in the US where what they would do is they would take a business problem and put it up on this uh, crowdsourcing site and MBA students from the top business schools would have a go at it and come up. So it reminds you of that scene in Goodwill Hunting where, you know, the janitor solves the maths problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, and and that's what... um, Whatever, there's no kind of localized problems anymore. If, yeah. If you have a problem, it's likely... Someone someone has asked, like, tried to solve it before. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, you know, I think that's one thing that Google's been particularly good at and other forums like Quora and whatever are getting quite good at is, like, what are the things that people want, want to know all the time? Like, mm-hmm. it's just amazing today. Like, I, I, I think, like, when I was growing up a little bit or, you know, um, many years ago, um, even in my early 20s, you couldn't just, like... Um, Right, like if you had a question, you actually mm. had to work at getting answers to it. Yep. You can just type it in and expect there to be oh, there's forty answers and fifteen reviews on those answers here. Yeah, yeah. So even the rating of answers, like as their reliability or quality, is mm. now that kind of next level. Yeah, and I think, um, but that's the thing in that now there's a surplus of information, and I think the real talent is going to be is going to lie in curating them. Yes, that. absolutely. And making sense of all of that. And I think that's where human beings would come into the picture. Yep. And it's not so much generating information, but really picking out what's valuable and and what can be made useful. <coughs> I, I totally mm. agree. I, I think like mm. we are actually in information overload, mm. but it's really interesting because I think what happens is when we we hit this peak point of data and information, maybe like, you know, well, we're, obviously we're, it's getting more every year, but I feel like 
probably a couple of years ago, it got to the point where there's just too much of everything. Mm. And you can see that now with like, what should I watch on TV? Well, I mean, mm. it's not just TV. It's Netflix. Mm. It's uh, Amazon Prime. Yep. It's Hulu. You know, you can watch anything on yeah. multiple platforms. There's actually not enough time to figure out what the best thing is to watch anymore. Mm. Whereas before it might have been like, oh, remember, you know, a decade ago, it was like, there's two, seven, nine, and ten. Yeah. Just choose <laughs> an SBS. So. Yeah. And um- – but also, I think that's what that, what's happening with that is it's, it's leading to other problems. Like, um, it's I can't remember the psychologist because he defined it as the paradox of choice. Yep. In that, uh, when things are a bit simpler, and the example he gives, uh, he's written a book called The Paradox of Choice. And the example he gives is he, being an older person, went to buy a pair of jeans, and then he's just blown away by the types and the cuts and the <laughs> yeah, it's so he's like, yeah. I just want a pair of jeans. Yeah. And um and I think what's happening there is it's it's putting people in a state of paralysis. Yep. And that and um yeah and and so and that's what I meant earlier by curation is that people who can take all of these choices and then distill it down for you that's going to be very valuable. And I think it's become more valuable given the climate of fake news mm. and crap quality news as well. So yep. not just stuff that's manufactured as, you know, Russian bot scams, but actually mm. just poor quality stuff that isn't, uh, doesn't take you on any journey to growth or learning. Mm. So, I mean, for myself, I've stopped reading any news really. Um, Same. And what I do is, yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit probably, um, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I use this thing called Pocket where mm. I save articles, mm-hmm. clip it, put it in the pocket, and then Pocket, based on its algorithm, chooses similar content that might appeal to me based on my interests. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that I'm reading in my spare time on my phone and my computer is actually stuff that's helping me improve or grow or develop. It's mm. not random, like someone died in you know the Hepburn Valley or something, um, yeah. or it's not something about... Um, you know, like carbon emissions failed here or mm. it's not all bad news. It's not all irrelevant stuff. It's mm. stuff that's actually relevant to me in, you know, development. Mm. And I think that's another key skill is um, being able to control technology rather than letting it control you. Mm. And I've kind of, I've started doing that very recently and I'm, and I'm exploring Twitter quite a bit. Um, and, and yeah, I think I'm getting a lot of, good value from Twitter because of the people I follow. And I think the amazing thing with Twitter, what you can do is you can create different channels. You're making lists? And make lists. And if you're interested in product management, there's you know, a variety of really smart people that are tweeting lots about how to create a good product. If you're interested in French history, there's people posting about French history. Yeah. I, think, um, I think that's what I'm starting to do. I'm starting to create these avenues with Twitter. So just, that's... just for French history or for other stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only interested in French yeah, history between only, yeah. 1734 <laughs> yeah. and 1847. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. Like, yeah. If you want to get that specific, you can. Yeah, you can. Uh, but for me, it's it's uh, kind of things like product management. Um, just I have these weird titles like wisdom, um, stoicism, but you know um, what, you, like you know what they mean to you, which is perfect. Yeah, it's like what you said about like the curation, but also the customization, mm. um, and knowing that like the tag that you put on mm. it is going to give you all that stuff. Uh, 
And I think another valuable practice is looking outside your comfort zone and outside your silo. And um, so I've started following people that kind of make me uncomfortable. Perfect. Whether it's politically or, you know, it's mainly politically or culturally or... Uh, I, I'm, but yeah, I think you, you need to be a little bit careful in that you don't want to kind of follow just blatant <laughs> yeah. racist or sexist. So. <laughs> yeah. So there has to be some intellectual... That's like a really interesting um, space, isn't it? Like the the recognition that we're probably completely um, the internet and, you know, we're very ridden with confirmation bias. Hmm. So we need to challenge that by exposing ourselves to alternative views. But at the same time, if you know that you don't like a lot of those views, how far do you go in extremity the other way, Hmm. like to challenge it? Yeah, because you don't want to be radicalized at the end of the day, or you don't want to be kind of you want to be like mm. out of your comfort zone. But mm. do you want to be repulsed every day because you're no. so out of your comfort zone? Yeah, and I, I think um, it's good to be challenged every day. But I think for me, what's important is not being challenged for the just for the sake of being challenged. It's uh, there has to be some intellectual backing, you know, by the by these people that I follow. Um, yeah, and, and usually what I find is that, yeah, there's definitely things that I don't agree with, but there are certain aspects that filter through and that, and, and that makes me think, okay, how do I feel about this? You know? Yeah. Nice. And, and so what do you, that's in the space of learning and development. Mm. Um, what are your other practices like in terms of your connection to tech since you've hosted this series and um, do you moderate kind of your when you have certain times or when you do work and not do you switch off screens at a certain time what is your relationship <laughs> to email all of the above um, yeah I, I, I try well just taking email is I try not to check email first thing in the morning yep. um, I I don't do much Facebook and I have this Google um um, what do they call the, the Chrome add-ons? Yeah, uh, extension. A Chrome extension called uh, Newsfeed Eradicator. And so when I open Facebook, it it eradicates your newsfeed. So all that all I see is my notifications and my messages. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So can you also eradicate <laughs> the notifications? <laughs> I want absolutely nothing. Like I just want like a blank screen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just download messenger yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that has really cut down my facebook time significantly and uh, yeah so to improve uh, your productivity do you, you feel like better as well from that i do because i think facebook was one of those things where it's funny to describe like the more time i spent on it it was almost like the more unclean i felt yes it is i, I totally can relate to that yeah i've also like had a really bad relationship with Facebook lately. Like I just mm. have felt, I felt uneasy with it and not enjoying of it. So basically shelved it for a significant period and um, mm. felt that, you know, a, a former guest on the show, Lisa Portaland said that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And I think really when you, when you go into the Facebook um, news feed and you mm. see all what's going on, it used to be like kind of nice, you know, you've got a relative here or a friend mm. here is doing so-and-so, but it got to the point for me where it was just like um, it's just people comparing against people, comparing mm. against ideas, it, mm. like and it's just a mishmash of stuff that I wasn't particularly engaged in or feeling good about. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that when I finished um, 
those sort of sessions inside Facebook, mm. I didn't feel any better. I actually sort of felt a bit worse, mm. but I didn't know why. Yeah, exactly the same. And that's why I think, and I think if it wasn't for DBN and promoting things on Facebook through DBN, I'd, I'd say I wouldn't be on, on Facebook. Do you feel um, the same way about other platforms? Do you like them better? You like Twitter better? I, 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 yeah, definitely Twitter. Uh, one that I've really got into recently is Medium. There is some incredible content. Some great writers on Medium. Yeah, some incredible writers on Medium. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then, but but I think the biggest productivity thing that I that I do is I have this app on my MacBook calls. It's literally called self-control. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if, if I need to do like a block of focus work, yep. I just type in the websites that I, that, uh, I, do, I, that I, I shouldn't be logging onto yep. into that app. And then once that app is on, those websites are gone. Like I've, even if I restart my... Them. Yeah. That's brilliant. Even if so I restart you- my computer, I can't... And how often do you find yourself applying that during the week? Every day. Oh, it's brilliant. Like it's at least a staple of your working week. At least three hours a day. Yeah. I found an app that's similar on my um, on my Pixel my Android uh, mm. called Forest. Where you seen it? It's a, ah. you put it on your phone. It's for people who are like compulsively checking their phone, which I think I was for a while. Mm. And if you turn it on, it starts to grow a tree or a plant. Uh, while you're wow, so it locks you out, and it's like how much time you set the amount of time you don't want to burn your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I could be like two hours. What can I grow in two hours? And then mm. it starts to grow a tree. And there's something about the the mental aspect that you want the plant to grow to its full potential. Yeah, uh, and you don't want to um, miss that opportunity to you know let it kind of really mature. Yeah, <laughs> so you just find yourself not checking it, yeah. uh, or not you know destroying that plant growth. And um, yeah, I've only used it mm. once or twice, but I think I'll give it more of a go because I, I quite mm. liked. Um, it's interesting. Like, if you think about all the time you spend worrying about your phone and checking your phone and you know your phone, like if you just if you know you can't do stuff on it, mm. you make other choices. Like you might Absolutely. decide to read a book or yeah. go for a walk or. It, it's it's incredible, and I think uh, I I track my time on on the phone using an app called Moment. Um. And, but I think the, the the new iOS software does it for you. Yep. And when I first started tracking, I was spending more than four hours a day on the phone, which was which I thought was that's absurd. Yeah. That's when, you, when you know, yeah. when you see a number, it changes everything, right? Yeah. And since then, I've been trying to reduce, and I'm currently on. I'm still on about two hours a day. Um. But but yeah, well, looking looking at this from say a tech company's perspective is yep. they've got the smartest people in the world trying to get you to spend as much time on their platforms as possible. Yeah, and if you look at it historically, I think say the massive companies of old, the the you know the big corporations a hundred years ago, they were mainly natural resource companies, the oil companies, the gas companies. And what they would do is dig stuff out of the ground and sell it. And that's how they created value for their shareholders. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, What tech companies are doing is they're digging into your attention. And the more attention they can Mm -hmm. scoop out, the more valuable the companies are. So it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so like, 
off-putting, isn't it, when you think <laughs> about it that way? Yeah. And so, and that's why, I mean, I'm jumping through hoops just so I can get some work done. Well, I think, I think part of it's also the trade-off we make with these companies that we mm. want the utility of the best minds in the world's products. Like, mm. if I said to you, um, all right, you can you keep your computer and we won't try and take your data or attention, but you can't use Google. Mm. Like, I, you know, I'd basically keep my left arm, I reckon, for Google. Yeah, especially uh, now that you're been using it for 10 years yeah. yeah now that you're totally hooked on it these are like mm. addictive substances we need mm. them to be better and to improve and to grow mm. but at the same time there is this implicit trade-off that they will know a lot about you mm. they know who you are and where you live and you know maybe a lot about your the type of person you are and what you want to be marketed to and how and mm. we kind of have to learn to put up with this torrent of aggressive marketing to our inbox and um and our screens mm. and that's our part of the bargain yeah, that's the uh, that's the Faustian trade. That's know. the word I was looking for. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, so you got the reduction in screen time happening on the phone. Tell us about um, other health. Like, you got an interesting uh, regime yourself. Do you describe mm. yourself as pale- are you paleo or bulletproof, or what's your um, food situation? <laughs> so, um, I'd say now it's more ketogenic. Yep. Although. I started on Tim Ferriss's slow carb diet. When was it? Three years ago now. Yep. And that really helped me in terms of weight loss, and uh, not not just weight loss, but also I think cognitive function. I think just I just started feeling a lot better. Yep. And so, so the slow carb diet is pretty much no carbs mm-hmm. or sugar during the week, and then but you get one. Cheat day. Oh, yes. And can you please tell the listeners about your cheat day? <laughs> yeah. You told me about it once and it made me like so happy. It's pretty epic. It's like Christmas every week for me. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that's something that I, I stick to and, and that I'm not going to quit in a hurry. So and, before you do the cheat day explanation, so mm. what's a regular day like for you? What's uh, the, the intake? Um, so usually when I wake up, I have... Bulletproof coffee. Mm-hmm. Although I stopped putting the butter in, I just do the XC, the MCT M- oil. MCT oil. Yep. Uh, butter was just making me feel too heavy in the morning. Yep. And uh, yeah, then I have a, like a very light lunch if I have lunch at all. Uh, I don't have breakfast. Um, so is this is it involved like an intermittent fasting period? It did. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of evolved from ketogenic to intermittent fasting. And dinner, I have a massive dinner. So that's massive my main. Dinner. So do you, yeah. is there lunch or there's no lunch? There usually isn't lunch, yep. but sometimes if I feel it, I have usually have nuts around there. Yep. 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 So it's a high fat, basically. High fat, high protein. High protein. Lots of veggies as well. So this is dinner like, uh, t- what, tell us about dinner. What, what's involved in dinner? Oh, it's usually, it's usually beef or chicken. Yep. And, and usually it's like a, Coconut based curry, or yep. or it's um, yeah, like massive stir fry. Or are you, you starving know. at the end of the day? By I usually eat between four, four and six. Yep, love it. Early dinner, it's yeah, the yeah, way yeah. to go. And yeah, by five pm, I'm I'm, I'm ravished. Yep, I, yeah. <laughs> and so, how like how much do you eat? Is it like just a massive plate of? It, it's it's yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah, awesome. And mm. do you like? <laughs> do you have that meal with like other people being with you for like 
if you can you make dinner plans or like do you have to you like to eat yeah yeah, yeah so so if if i mean i'm not completely anal in that so if i have dinner plans i yeah accommodate that um you, although during the week i try not to get into carbs and sugar but that's that's i haven't really had a problem with that if if i go out to dinner i just skip the rice or the bread and so you and no carbs no sugar at all no it's amazing. This is like this is the di- the diet that you're on. Why I like talking to you about it mm. is because everyone wants to be on this diet. No one has the discipline to execute it. Yeah, and and I think that really didn't come straight away. Like there was lots of falling off the horse and getting back on it. But I think what kept me on it was just seeing the results. Mm. Um, I think initially I lost about 15 kilos. Jeez. And then like four inches off my waist. Jeez. Is, yeah. Pretty massive. Yeah, that's massive. And so are you in ketosis now or do you do do you measure your ketones? I don't know. Yep. So I'm I'd say I'm pretty likely to be, but Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so mm-hmm. now take us through the cheat day. Yeah, so now I've so I've kind of changed it around a bit, but it usually starts with um, now that it's summer, I, I go to Elwood Beach. And first thing in the morning, and I do a bit of exercise, and I jump in the ocean, and then I go to a cafe, and because what I was what I was trying to do for a while, this is deflecting a bit, yep. was develop a writing habit, yep. which I was finding really hard to do. So I thought, okay, and this is a, I got a tip from um, James Clear's Atomic Habits book. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you read it, but... I haven't, but James Clear has been referred to me a few times. So. Yeah, amazing book. Yeah. But anyway, so what one of the recommendations he makes is that uh, if you want to start something, you want to start a habit, do something that you need to do with something that you want to do. So try and put those two things Ooh, together. clever. So for me, what I really want to do is have like a cheat day breakfast. So I take uh, a writing book to a cafe... And then just sit there and just order stuff from the menu. Till yeah, I... so smash through a couple of breakfast items. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then hopefully hopefully write a few pages. Yeah, That's awesome. Mm. Um, what are you excited about doing or have you got plans for what your program will look like this year for debates and to- key topics? Yeah, yeah. So um, really excited about putting a whole new program together. I think what, what's really gratifying is that there are people now uh, some of like really incredibly smart people in Melbourne that see DBN as a platform that they would like to use to share their ideas, which I'm really excited about. Uh, there is, um, I'm, I'll be doing five more debates this year. I'm doing a debate at Pulse Festival, which is exciting. Ooh, awesome. Yeah. What's your topic going to be? Can you announce it? Yeah. So it's, I'm teaming up with the Impact. I'll be there. So I look forward oh, really? to seeing you in awesome. person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm teaming up with the Impact Investment Group. Yep. Uh, and oh, I better get this topic right. It's uh, it's impact investors are wasting their time. It's something oh, cool. something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. I like how you pick topics that are basically whoever's there is useless. Yeah, <laughs> that's the topic discussed. <laughs> Although it's funny, like impact investment pick pick this topic. So yeah. I'm I'm yeah. helping them run it. That's amazing. If they want to mm-hmm. collaborate in their own demise, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So there's. Five more debates. Uh, there's various talks as well. Um, teaming up with uh, Convo. Do you know? Convo. Convo. What are they? 
So Convo is, I mean, it's it's run by amazing person called Amy Broadford, and it's a dinner. Where, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, Convo, yeah, the dinner thing. I have heard thing. of that. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear a bit more about that if you, if you want to mention that. Yeah, so, I mean, we haven't really planned it out, but it's really a dinner on... And so the way Convo works is uh, you go to dinner and you you sit down and you serve amazing food and wine and so on, but you're given uh, curated questions that you talk about and, you know, and so this one would be around disruption, the future of work, where we're heading and so on. So you're collaborating yeah. to put that event on? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you have to invite me. Absolutely. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to attend that because mm-hmm. I've actually been looking for... Um, since I learned about Convo late mm. last year, I've been looking for an opportunity to go to one of their events. So mm. that'll be perfect. No, and you'd be a perfect fit as well. And and also um, planning to bring down first international speaker. Ooh. Um, so hopefully we can get him down for Knowledge Week. If not, then somewhere late, sometime later in the year. You ready to make an announcement or too soon? Uh, a little bit too soon. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So maybe okay. I'll keep uh, harassing you and yeah, yeah, feed something back to our yeah. listeners. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a big, uh, big twenty nineteen. Can I'm you really... say what the topic or theme would be for that? Um, it'll be around. How, how do I best describe it? It's, it's a. It's, it'll be a combination of philosophy and entrepreneurship. Oh, terrific! Yeah, the best. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, I might segue a little. Bit. Maybe I'm covering it maybe i'm not but um mm. stoicism is mm. is it kind of are you going to explore that at all this year is that kind of on your agenda i, I should have said stoicism and entrepreneurship yeah oh, so that, that's it <laughs> yeah oh yeah. perfect mm. perfect and uh, I, i'm probably giving it away now but the guy who's coming he's really kind of got me into thinking about stoicism in terms of um kind of like it's, it's just simple rules that you live your life by is he, yeah. is he a writer or? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to say anything more. Yeah. <laughs> if it is, Probably. I think it is. I'll be very excited. We'll chat more about yeah, that after, yeah. after the podcast. Uh, mm. So very exciting times. And I, I asked you earlier, just when we were kind of catching up for a um, quick pre-podcast mm. chat, like what are you sort of worried about or thinking about at the moment? What's in your plate and kind of occupying your thinking? I, I guess like a lot of the stuff you would just pop out into events because that's the mm. beauty of running a network like this in a series. But yeah. is there other stuff that you kind of is on your mind that you, you are thinking about? Um, I think when I think about DBN as well, and I think um, what also kind of drives me is Kind of, kind of the people that attend, and, and I think a lot of them are kind of in, like in corporate jobs that, um, like like me, seven years ago. And th- th- there's this sense of them looking for a change, and 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 also I, I suppose the main purpose of DBN is that everyone should be in jobs that they find meaningful. Yep. And it's not so much that it worries me it also excites me in that there are avenues out there that people can explore uh, and also i think i think like you another thing is i i am also starting a podcast on on um, it's going to be called on meaningful work fantastic and it's going to be looking at people you know like yourself who have started in one area of their careers and maybe it was through they're seduced by money or prestige or whatever the case might be. And then 
found, okay, this is not me. And then kind of went through that journey into finding something that's meaningful. It's a perfect topic for now, I think, meaningful hmm. work and like, um, yeah, like what is it and the quest for it as well is like, you know, there's so many interesting points around that. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think also kind of reflecting on my journey and reading about people who ha- who are, are engaged in in meaningful work in that I, th- I think there's a, a misunderstanding between what makes us happy and what, what, what and what we find sure. meaningful for sure. And I think we've talked about this we have. in the past. Well, I think it's something we've like vehemently agreed on a few mm-hmm. times that, you know, the, this quest for happiness is a, is a misguided, uh, thankless quest. And, yeah. you know, you really need to be instead, um, looking to make a contribution that's meaningful and mm-hmm. to really <coughs> see where you can help others. Mm-hmm. And in fact, take a journey that's not about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and also, I think the thing with meaning is that it's tough. Yeah. Uh, like, perfect example is mountain climbers. Why do they keep doing it? Yeah. They're freezing their butts off. Yeah. Their fingers are falling off from frostbite. Yep. But what I imagine it to be, like, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a mountain climber, but is getting to the peak and just that feeling of staring to the horizon. Yeah. That's got to be priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, mean, I read a book while I was away, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah, and it's amazing. a terrific book, yeah. but I think you know, for me, it's sort of sort of underlined very much that um, you shouldn't do things because they're easy. You should do them because they're hard, hmm. because the satisfaction comes in um, the milestones along the way to doing things that people don't think are possible. Yeah, um, and whether that's you know a business or entrepreneurship or it's um, a new podcast or writing a book. Yeah, um, trying to do like improvements on something that's, you know, an mm. ageless thing or something that's been going on for some time is what it's got to all be about. Mm. You know, doing things that you're not sure you can do is exactly. critical. And I think also um, it also gives you that self-confidence. Yeah. Like once you do something that that you think is impossible and yep. you do it. That's how you grow. Exactly. And yeah. Um, Another great guy that I've been following recently, uh, David Goggins. Oh, yes, yeah. Goggins. You hear his Rogan podcast? I did. I also listened to his audiobook, which yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, he's the second person today I've caught up with who's, who's like infatuated <laughs> with Goggins. It's amazing. Yeah, but, but he yeah. says he um, he has this, I suppose, mental place where he goes to, what he calls uh, reaching to the cookie jar. Yeah. In that he does these crazy, he does these crazy feats. And then he stores them mentally in what he calls a cookie jar. So then whenever he finds an obstacle, he just reaches into the cookie jar and tells himself, okay, I've done this crazy thing. So this obstacle is nothing. Yeah. yeah. he He's definitely um, an outlier. Hmm. He's a fascinating guy. I, I think I, I question his life balance. And like, yeah. uh, you know, you know, I think like hmm. it's, for example, like this is a guy who spends two hours each night stretching. Hmm. I can't imagine anything worse. Like, but no, that's his yeah. commitment level to excellence. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I mean, if I highly recommend his his book, but listen to his audio book. Yeah, and I think he had a he had a horrific childhood, and I think the stuff that he does really comes from this reservoir of pain. Yep. that he that he reaches into. And, yeah, and even like with the stretching, is that he was so wound up that he almost died, and that stretching really. Oh my god. 
really saved his life. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Mm. Um, so definitely recommend uh, that people check that out. Goggins and um, you might. I think his, his book is called Can't Can't Hurt Me. Can't hurt me. Yeah, mm. I mean it's everywhere now. I think he's mm. becoming a megastar as we speak. Mm. And the other thing you mentioned was James Clear. What was that book called? Uh, Atomic Habits. Atomic yeah. Habits. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to check that out myself because I do mm. like his work. I also really like people whose last name kind of reflects what they're all about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't think of that. That's 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 true. It's yeah. a remarkable coincidence. Mm. It's like it's a, they've done studies into um, people whose names sound like professions, and they find that like uh, there's there's a really um, staggering number of dentists who are dentists. Because wow. Dennis sounds like dentist, mm. so it, it, that, that makes no sense. But like, I yeah. suppose it's like if you're a kid or something, and you hear the name and it, just how it sounds yeah. compared to the job, um, you're just like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> What's funny is the Sanskrit meaning of Rahul is the conqueror of maladies. Yeah, well, I've always thought of you that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So if you have a problem, you know, yeah, that's, you're right, solve it. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Um, so look, where can people learn more about um, the Disruptive Business Network and join or, you know, get involved? Yeah, please. So uh, disruptivebusinessnetwork.com and sign up to a newsletter. And, um, and how about you? If they want to contact you or follow you? Yeah, or I'm just Rahul at Disruptive Business Network, all spelled out. Yep. Dot com. Uh, Oh, yeah. Please, please email me if you have any questions or comments or criticisms, whatever. You probably get people saying, I hear you making a new podcast. I want to be on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, but, yeah, it'd be great to have you, your listeners on my newsletter and see see the response there. Yeah. Well, I think what you do is so well aligned to um, Purposeful and Humans of Purpose. We, You know, you partnered with us to put on a great live podcast event. That was fantastic. At Bellroy, yeah. you know, really unique experience mm. and really look forward to doing some more great stuff with you this year. Same here, Mike. Thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? You could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.